Hello, listener. Welcome to Marching In, a dedicated Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music comes from Lawrence Norton. If you want to stay up to date with the pod and find out about future guests and upcoming episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Marching In Pod. Okay, I am delighted to be joined uh, to give a very expert insight into Nathan Jones, uh, lifelong Luton Town fan and former host of the Luton Town show, Steve Moore. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Lovely. Thanks for having me. I guess, yeah, um, kind of cool when we get to chat to fans of other clubs who can give us an insight, I guess, that we just wouldn't have from a Saints perspective. I want to start with the... The fan reaction to what's happened over the last week. So, yeah, obviously the news broke relatively suddenly following the sacking of of Ralph Hasenhutl earlier this week. What was the Luton fan reaction to the links with Jones? I think it's very, very mixed this time. It was very negative when he left to Stoke. And quite a big part of that was how it happened and the board's own reaction to how it happened. I don't know if you've seen the initial press statement released by Luton Town when the approach was made, uh, but there was a lot in there about how Southampton done it the right way. And yes. a lot, big part of that is they were very open, our board, about being very antagonistic about what had happened with the way Stoke had poached him the first okay. time. Okay, okay. Uh, as a result of that, there's a huge mix between people that are really angry that he's gone again, people that are completely understanding that, as as I've mentioned to people around me, listen, excluding Graham Potter and Frank Lampard, because obviously Frank Lampard is a massive name, and Graham Potter was in the Europa League with Rostersons, the last British manager to go out of the Football League into the Premier League for the first time without having either worked in Europe or been in a got promoted into the Premier League like yeah, Chris yeah, Wilder yeah. was Paul Lentz, who like Frank Lampard is also a massive name. And that was all the way <laughs> back in two thousand eight. So it just doesn't happen. So there's from my, my personal point of view, I can't see why he would ever turn that job down. It's completely unrealistic. You can look at us as a side that are in the playoffs last year and in the top half and hopefully going to push for a playoff place again this year. But we're still, even if we're pushing it, I would say we're still a bottom half budget. I would still not be shocked if we were bottom six budget within the championship. And that is a big difference between a lot of the clubs we've been competing with up there for the last two years. So I, I he kind of has to take the job in my... And at the end of the day, when he came back and he was very fortunate that he was able to come back at a time where project restart was happening and nobody was in the ground because yeah, yeah. I'll be completely honest, there would have been an awful lot of anger about his reappointment at that point in time. We were very much dead and buried. Hmm. You look at the squad we had, the way we were playing going into that, our form had 
taken a little upturn at the end of Graham Jones's era. And with no knowledge inside the club, I'm I'm surprised if the decision to release Graham Jones back then was based purely on I don't think the season's going to finish. We'll just leave that there, and we'll whenever COVID's over and we restart our next Interesting. season. So when Project Restart happened, they need to get someone in pretty sharpish, and that was a reasonable one. But the fact that he kept us up there, which frankly was a minor miracle in football in terms of admittedly, and then to finish twelfth, and then to finish sixth, the, the way he's progressed up the league, I don't think anyone can realistically say that the job he hasn't done in the second time was equally as good as the job he did the first time around and look at where we'd come from where we've been left yes it's disappointing and it leaves us in a bit of a hole but you can't blame him for going yeah let's I guess talk a little bit about his two different spells at, at Luton. And also, Steve, I'm right in saying that you're kind of uniquely positioned with some Stoke connections as well to maybe give some insight into what happened there because it's the major kind of blot on his copybook as a manager in terms of that period in between two very successful spells at Luton. Um, but he left Luton, you were top of League One at the time, right? And, were, and did end up clinching promotion that season having Jones departed to Stoke. Is that right? I'm trying to remember if we were, we were definitely up there and I'm pretty certain we were in the top two because it was the day before we went to Southampton away, which obviously was a major promotion rival and is a big game. And it was around about this time of year, if I remember right. It was probably slightly later. I think it might have been after Christmas. But we were in a very good position and he had taken us from... And you'll definitely hear him say this over occasions. It took him from 18th in League 2, which we were, but we were, yes, a mid-table League 2 outfit, to a playoff final, which we lost with an own goal in extra time. Well, at the end, well, in injury time at the end of extra time. I remember it was right in front of me. Uh, and then to finish second behind Accrington. And then immediately, remember, we got promoted second behind Accrington. And we were top of league, in, in the top two of League One the next season. Mm, and he mm. always said that the players he was signing that second season after the playoff loss were League One players, top half League One players. And he was proven right in that regard. But he left, and like I've already mentioned, he was. we were very unhappy with the way he left. There's stuff I could say, but there are rumours, so I won't, about the way it was handled and various things that happened in and around the Sheffield Wednesday Cup game. So right. it would have been, yeah, January, I think, so... And he left and we managed to go on and win the league, basically by continuing with the system he had at that time. And when he came in at the bottom half of League Two, he was very specific. I have this plan that it's going to be a 4-4-2 diamond. The fullbacks are basically going to be wingbacks. So they've got to do the job of two people. They've got part of the width and do all the wide defending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is my plan. And in that first season, actually... <laughs> There was a lot of square pegs in round holes to do it, but he committed to it. He was. He also managed to sign Jack Stacey, and obviously he was very lucky that JJ came through, which is James Justin, which is yeah, another yeah, one yeah. to come on to, as well as I'm Dan Pop. And them two were the best two players that you could realistically have in those two positions possibly out certainly outside the top two divisions quite possibly outside the football league and have them in mm, league two mm. league one made the job of the rest of that team actually pretty easy 
Now, mm. he t- he'll talk a lot about youth development and pride development. And yes, his pride development is very good, but I would say that his actual youth development isn't very good because he even tried to not play JJ. He was desperate to play Dan Potts, who is still doing a, to Vey, still doing a job for us, albeit in a very different position in the championship now. But he does have a track record of developing on players that he brings in. He doesn't necessarily have the best track record of developing players from the youth system. And whether that's because there is a huge hole in our youth system based on the way the elite player performance pathway works, i.e. that if a team or academy from a higher category goes to poach your players, you can't keep them. So, and obviously the way we've gone through so quickly, we kind of left that behind a bit. Yes, there's mm-hmm. JJ. But there's players that might have come through here in a previous generation that weren't because JJ was originally a midfield player and was in the same under 10 side as Max Ammons and Jamal Lewis. So no wonder right, he wasn't right, playing right. fullback. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Patino's a couple of years later. There's there's lots of players about who were pinched between the ages of 10 and 14, shall we say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the way that works. So maybe there's a huge hole in our youth system there. So maybe that's not so. But when he signs players, his, his way of developing them is good. You look at, well, Elijah signed as a League 2 forward who's half decent from League 2. He looked the best striker outside Mitrovic in the Championship last season, and mm-hmm. maybe Sanganke. Aaron Campbell signed from Scotland, and he's in the Scotland squad. He looks the best aggressive midfielder in the Championship, quite frankly. He has the, and Jack Stacey signed for number three from Reading, sold to Bournemouth for a huge sum as that exceptional right wing back but then he went to Stoke like you say and it was obvious from what I know from the Stoke scenes I've got from when I was at uni up there and people I know from there that he obviously did the same thing I'm playing this diamond and it didn't work and even I looked at some of the summer signings that summer after his first year that's by the by that was a bit like our season we know got square pegs and else. Some of the players he signed, particularly for those fullback roles, I looked at him and goes, really? Hmm. It seemed to not make a lot of sense. And obviously, I don't think he also had a lot of luck. And there was also a lot of luck. That, that dressing room was certainly not a massive mix of players on massive contracts that I couldn't get rid of and wanted to get rid of, players he wanted. And he really likes to have a really tight-knit group. He likes to create a mentality within the group, and that would also have been very difficult at Stoke. Yeah. He came back, and in the first game he came back, he didn't play the diamond with us, and it was like, what's going on here? And <laughs> this is where he's really progressed as a manager for me. Mm-hmm. He's not, He's not in his second spell, he's not been obsessed with the diamond. In fact, you can clearly state that there almost three different tactical plans he's had across his second spell at Luton Town. There was the, everyone hold it together, keep it back, five at the back, we've got nine games to save ourselves and hope to nick the odd one nil, which we didn't enough of to stay up. Then he had that off-season. It was a massive off-season for us because a lot of the players that he'd signed to get us promoted from League One, in essence, well, out of contract, he had to make decisions about whether to keep them, whether to go, how to replace them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he produced a really good system that was direct to a degree, but it certainly wasn't direct to what would become later, and that is another issue. But it was built on 
and this is something he really doesn't like, and we'll probably touch on this later. He, he signed two players on loan, Reese Knight Davis and Kieran Jude Hall. And he's always talked about not wanting to sign loan players. And he, he was desperately trying to sign Kieran Jude Hall. And let's be honest, that would have looked like an extremely good bit of business if he'd have had it pull that off. And Reese Knight Davis, by an injury, would have been in the Wales squad. But mm. Reese left in January that year, having started really well, to go on loan to Stoke because he thought, ironically, because he thought that was more chance of pushing up the table. And Jewsbury Hall, obviously, we couldn't keep at the end of that season. And we were excellent side. We played some good passing football. Jewsbury Hall basically cleaned up the awards, do. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. And obviously, became part of Leicester squad last year. So, that was a decent team. Play. A decent football finished 12. But during the last half of that year, I think he looked at, well, how are we going to progress this from here? Particularly as we're going to lose these two lone players again. One's already gone and the other one's we ain't going to keep because by that mm, point it's quite mm. obvious that a Premier League club would want him or a club way outside our budget in the Championship would want him if Leicester didn't want to keep Dewsbury Hill. And I think, I think, and I have no inside, but it's quite obvious for the way we played last season, that back end of that season, he looked at Barnsley under Valis Mail, who ended up in the playoffs that season. Well, they're on a budget not too much bigger than ours. I'm going to completely change things and do that. Really high press, really direct, much better when you have less than 40% of the ball than over 60% of the ball, put mm. it that way. And signed a lot of players because Elijah had already come through. He signed him in the January. And he signed a lot of players built for that style. And admittedly, he played a different formation at what Barry Ismail did with Barnsley, but the Tactically, it was very similar. It was high, insanely high press, very get the ball, get it forward, and then play football in and around their third and win the ball in and in their third. And it was obviously, it got us a pass. It was absolutely terrific. And we managed to do it with the only loan players we used being the insane amount of emergency going goalkeepers because all our goalkeepers kept going right, down. right, right. <laughs> he was openly talked as a result of that and it's one of his big weaknesses I think with trying to progress on from where we are that he doesn't like using own players at all. We've only got one this season it's the goalkeeper which obviously mm. based on what had happened last season is completely yeah, yeah, understandable yeah. and that's that's the way he works. So I'm not sure how he's going to take to all those Southampton players you've got from Manchester City, who I presume he have buybacks for most of them, which in essence is kind of like a loan. But that is... So anyone that gets really worried about him being very, very direct, yes, he has been the last two years, but he wasn't before that. He is He's become very much a chameleon in the way he manages to tactically, maybe not in games, but you know he might try it with City, in games and quite often when he tries that it doesn't work but in terms of thinking okay what am I going to do tactically next season to succeed in what he wanted to do to progress up the league every year he's proven he can be very chameleon like in the second spell which he never was before like I say he looked wedded to that diamond no matter what and he isn't anymore yeah, very interesting, Steve, on the tactical side. From what I've read and seems to be from what you've said there, he has kind of evolved into quite a pragmatic manager who is willing to adapt. Am I right in saying that 
the kind of most common system, if we want to think about kind of players in what positions, would be a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2. Is that right? It's it's probably more of a five, realistically. It's certainly three at the back in these last two years. And originally, mm-hmm. he wanted to go 3-4-3 three, three at the start of last season, which is even more similar to what Barry Schmale was doing at Barnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It developed into a 3-5-2. And I think the key difference between it last year and this year is we had Cal Mason in the back three, who's really just a technically good footballer that never had a position before. Right, And right, he right. ended up being exceptional in the left-hand side of the back three because he was the one guy outside the system that would get on the ball, break through the middle, and he went to Bristol City for a ton of money on a free. Mm, so. mm, mm, mm. Fair, we can't fair. have too much calms about that because we got him from Wigan on a free when they weren't paying wages. So. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. So it's certainly three at the back. One of the things... You look at the wing backs, it's very much Bell's the athletic one on the left. He'll get up and down. Breeze, the creator. He's not as quick, but he'll play a lot further up the field because he's the guy that will get the assist in essence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the central midfield, he's switched around with a bit. I think he does prefer with us to have one holding behind two central midfielders who just harry behind the front two. Although he's experimented with trying to play the two Harriers behind a number 10. And quite often we look awful in midfield and get dominated, even more so in games. When we tried that this season, we needed Perry behind or Henri Ansby behind. That gets us the ability to... Yes, we won't still have a lot of possession, but we will be able to control what's happening in front of us in games when we do that much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You touched on, I guess, the signings that we've made from City specifically. We now have Romeo Lavia back to full fitness, who has proven himself to be one of the most exciting young central midfielders, specifically in that deeper role, um, you know, in in the league right now. So, you know, potentially that is where, where he goes. But we've got this very interesting period now where Jones will have effectively six weeks kind of pre-season with the squad after the game at Liverpool on, on Saturday. So who knows kind of what he thinks of the squad off the back of that six weeks and how he assesses will be best to kind of move us forward. And to be fair, you probably don't lose a lot of players. To, better shopper aside, do you lose too many others to the World Cup? No, uh, Mohamed Salisu likely to go with Ghana and that yeah. is pretty much it actually. So, so yeah, basically but I, two defenders and that's it. Exactly. Um, Ward Prowse missing out on the squad yesterday. Um, I'm really intrigued to see what he does with Ward Prowse because, like I say, midfield-wise, with the one and the two, the two are very much... Their technical ability is secondary. Yes, okay, okay. he likes them to be, but the most important thing, Campbell's amazing at this, is be in-your-face, pressing aggressive. But like I say, he's had number 10... To, when he's wanted to have a technical player, that's often when he's gone with the number 10. He's tried a bit of Luke Freeman there this year. When we signed Snodgrass on a short-term contract to help us get into the playoffs last year, that's where Snodgrass would play. And actually, mm. he was terrific because he couldn't move. If War <laughs> Palace is willing to actually get around the pitch and press off the ball, he can easily play the kind of role that John Clark does for us, obviously to Premier League standard as well yeah, as, yeah. and his ability to deliver set pieces will be huge because that's part of what James Bree does and Alan Sheehan who's obviously going to you who I honestly thought might have been one one of the guys that might have stayed to 
potentially become our manager. He's okay. basically a set piece coach, and our set pieces since he's come back have been a lot more inventive and a lot better than they okay. were before. Okay. That is interesting, actually. I was going to touch on set piece, but you kind of done it there, Steve. Yeah, I think Ward Prowse actually hasn't had a good start to the season. I'm really not surprised that he, he wasn't selected yesterday in Southgate squad. Um, he, I, I actually think he's got more off the ball than, than on it at times in kind of what is a, a messy middle, you know, being pressed. I don't think he's that press resistant. I think he struggles a little bit. He's quite slow, but off the ball is good. And I, I actually want to maybe see him play a bit f- further forward. Um, anyway, I... I think we've had a good chat there on, I guess, the tactical side of, of how um, Jones has evolved. Just uh, quite a lot has been made in the press this week, at least in kind of Saints-specific press around his personality. He's a very intense man, very hardworking. A lot has been made of the presentations he's delivered to certain players. I think you, you mentioned Dewsbury Hall. That was one where he clearly kind of earmarked him, said, look, I want you to be part of this Luton team, etc." That intensity has come through a lot in terms of some of the initial comments he's made as Saints manager as well. What have you got to kind of say around that, Steve, on what he's like as a man? He is very intense. And you look at him as a player. I mean, I'm pretty certain he, he was at Yeovil when you were in the same division at Yeovil going a long way back and you may have seen it then. He is, let's just say his emotions never stay internalised. <laughs> Everything is external. And I think that's part of the why some Luton fans took so badly to him leading particularly the first time because he's so passionate. He literally dumps his chest. He And it is a weakness within games that I think sometimes he gets so kind of intensely emotionally attached to what's going on in front of him that in terms of trying to take a wider view of this is happening here I can change X I can get Y suddenly the game just he gets too involved in the game and the game Mm, carries mm. him along which is a positive because of the way he becomes he creates that mentality within a squad and it was really weird because I've all of a sudden, when everything happened, I started getting a load of Saints stuff appearing on my Twitter timeline. And one of the <laughs> things I saw, of all the stuff, and I paired, there was an awful lot of mud slinging going along around Hassan Hurtle after he left, was somebody saying that the players weren't happy because Hassan Hurtle would wait for them to go in and then go over at the fans and start presenting himself yeah, to yeah, them. Yeah, you're right. And I, I saw that and went, they're going to hate NJ because he is literally, he gets a, he gets a win. He's up to the fans, immediately with the play, pumping his fist to his chest. Go. Sometimes he's in the crowd. He gets yeah, over yeah. the holding to jump in the crowd with the away support, particularly when we're away from home, and starts giving it the big one when we've got a big result. That's not him performing. I think some Luton fans, particularly when he got the first time, thought he was performing and he was doing that they 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 got him forth. He was doing that because he'd become Luke. No, that's just his. That's just his personality. He's yeah. like that. He was like that throughout his career. And I know we didn't see much of it because it was only really the tail end where he was back in England with Brighton and Yeovil because he spent most of his time in out in Spain. But yeah. that's him. He can't switch that off. And it's within the confines of the ninety minutes, in essence. Outside of that, you can tell he's really thoughtful. He thinks things through majestically. And we've had so many players when they're signed. And they all say, I'm signed because of the manager or whatever. But some, 
But the similarities about things that you don't normally see when they're constantly talking about these PowerPoint presentations and you end up hearing it. these PowerPoint, he's trying to get a player. And obviously, if you're trying to get a player that the big six want, you're not going to get them. But if you're competing with West Ham, Villa, those kind of clubs that are in your 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 size of gold, goldfish pool, shall we say, uh, you will get a lot of the players over those that, that you're in the same financial ballpark as because of these presentations. Because he, when he goes out and signs a player, and he's had a lot of help with the recruitment team, he's not solely in charge of transfers, and I'm sure he won't be Southampton. But when he spotlights a player, gets them in, he can show them in, in a meeting, this is why I want you, this is what you. I, this is where I want you to go in this team, and this is where you will go if you do what I tell you to do mm, in this mm. team. You look at and, uh, JJ, James Justin, uh, two of the big ones. Kieran Jews, behold, we may not have signed him, but he said, with me doing this role, you'll be a Premier League player. Well, frankly, <laughs> I think he might have more questions about why he's not in the England squad than James Ward Plaskoff. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Way he's not a bad shout, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just quickly on the kind of comparisons with Ralph, and you, you raised something really interesting about. Uh, Nathan Jones' demeanour on the touchline, there, there's a similarity with Ralph sometimes where I think players have got a bit frustrated at almost how animated he is rather than being calm and, as you've seen, as you've said, assessing the game potentially. One thing that I think is a big difference is particularly around that man management. Like, Ralph sometimes has almost deflected away from his own shortcomings and put them on the players at times. And he's made odd comments in uh, in press conferences, etc. It seems like with what you get from Nathan Jones is, you know, a real uh, kind of motivator and someone that's very in touch with his players and, you know, will almost put the onus on him to get better rather than the players in that, you know, he can't really fault his players. Would, would that be right in that assessment, do you think, Steve? I think I, I can understand where you're coming from. I think he's very much a because of everything he is. He's very much a marmite figure. Mm. When within the dressing room, I think I think when players buy into what they're te- what he's telling them, they really buy in, like mm. really buy in, and it becomes such a power of strength. But if him and a player have a disagreement, I think that's it. There's no way back. Uh, Tyreek Baginson, who is one of the a few young players in our youth system that possibly should have come up through divisions with us. He wanted more first-team football than he was getting at that particular point in time because Alan McCormack was just staying fit and being brilliant in that role. He said, well, I'm off then at Bristol City, and now he's playing at a lower division than Luton, so he's been proven wrong. But that <laughs> there could have been a way to meld that better. Joe Morrell was another one. He bought him... And there was quite, he took him off in half time in a league game. I think it might have been Rotherham. And then we basically never saw him in a league game again. I think in, in, wow. in terms of league games, we literally didn't see him in a league game again. Hmm. So if you get on the wrong side of him, there may well be a situation where there will be a player that will suddenly just disappear. And it will be because there's that, he's not bought in, something's happened, that's it until he's got left the club. But mm, mm, mm. it's a strength and a weakness in that sense because when players buy in, it's not like the normal buy-in. It's a buy-in to a ridiculous extent that becomes a, a mentality for the entire football club for those that buy in when it goes well. 
and it's also part of the reason why I don't think it went well at Stoke because there's there was a lot of players there who weren't his and he couldn't move because nobody else was going to pay in, pay in the wages that they were on because they were Premier League players that yeah, were yeah. and it just and it became I mean there was times he you you looked at him on sideline at Stoke and he looked a defeated man because mm, he, because mm. the whole thing got up I, I say there's a famous quote I've seen a few times that he said he was at and he does bite fingernails a lot but they were saying they, he was biting until they bled when he was at Stoke yeah yeah wow um Steve we're gonna I guess get close to wrapping up shortly I want a couple of predictions from you one will Nathan Jones be a success at Southampton oh that's a big call I think it purely comes down to how how much of that squad buys in straight away and what you also consider other than obviously staying up this season that's obviously the primary aim number one yeah and that's the thing he's gonna have to he, he does have the six weeks thankfully but in terms of winning games he's gonna have to hit the ground running i believe your next six league games after the break are after liverpool obviously you get the break and then the next six league games are six of the games you're probably spotlighting to get a lot of points to help you get out of it yeah so he's gonna yeah, have, have right. to hit the ground running which is not necessarily something he's done a loot the first time or at Stoke, obviously. Yeah, he obviously yeah, yeah. had to, in a similar way, at loot the second time. But equally, if we'd have gone down, I don't think there was the same pressure as there was to keep Southampton up. I think those six first six games might be crucial because if things click straight away, I think the mentality, enough of the players will buy into the mentality and it work and you'll end up, I don't know what the long-term ambition is, for him and what they want in Southampton from him. But I think in terms of staying up this year, it will come down to those first six games and how many players buy into him over that break. It's going to be hugely important because if a lot of those players don't buy into his personality, you might struggle. I hope he don't because he deserves this chance. And a bit like Rob Edwards at Watford will be at the next level up. Managers don't get poached without illustrious playing careers up the leagues very often and if it doesn't work out it'll put a lot of other owners off yeah very interesting very interesting actually I didn't pick up on it when you said it but about the managers being kind of moving from the championship to the Premier League and and some a Saints fan actually put a, a kind of table up and not that it's grim reading, but as you you touched on, it doesn't happen often. So I think that's why, from a Saints perspective, it was probably the most surprising name to you know be put forward because there were rumours before Hassan Hüttel was moved on that we had looked at Deserbi, who's gone to Brighton, Larger, who you know hasn't didn't work out at Wolves, for instance. But those kind of European names, um, and that's why it kind of came as as that surprise. Um, it seems like there's a kind of good. Um, relationship between Southampton and Luton in terms of how things were handled you touched on um yeah I, I guess the the way it was conducted where does it leave Luton right now like who are the most likely replacements I understand is it Mick Harford who's still who's not jo- not joined up with Jones at Southampton but he stayed but he, he probably won't take first team he won't take, will he he's taking Saturday Okay, fine. Like he fine. did when he left the when Jones got the first time, he took it for the rest right, of the season. Right, right. And was we have the rest of the season get the right man in. It didn't work out with Graham Jones, admittedly. But yeah. the fact almost, almost the fact that we got promoted under McArthur probably didn't help Graham Jones out a huge amount. Uh, <laughs> but Mick obviously won't take the job. 
full time. He's part of the recruitment team anyway. And okay. He's okay. Pretty much done every job at Luton since playing for us on about four different occasions, deliberately scoring on goals in our favour when on last days when playing for other teams. Uh, <laughs> he, he was our manager in the thirty point minus thirty point season, and he still felt he, he mentioned after we won League One that he still felt guilty about it when he absolutely had no reason to whatsoever. Oh. And he, I don't think he's got any interest in becoming the manager. The interesting thing was, I thought Cohen might go, but I thought the reason he might stay would be if we, if we were considering for the job. And I didn't think Sheehan would go. And I thought that would be a name that would be thrown forward because we're very big. Uh, uh, the owners, being fans, have been very big on giving ex-players mm. chances as a manager. So be re- that that would be why a lot of the names, Steve Robinson's up there, are that, but it's, it'd be really interesting to see. I honestly, nobody had Graham Jones down last time. Right, and right, I right. honestly have no idea where they're, they're thinking. The dream yeah. world, given the fact, as I already mentioned, that the last season and a half have been, okay, we're going to take a lot of Barish Mouse ideas, philosophies. I was going to say, it yeah. It will be, he's just going to predict us and it may be out of our price range. Almost really, mm. certainly it's out of our price range. But if he, if he was willing, wanted to come back England and accept a wage similar to what he was on at Barnsley, I think that would be the perfect call. But I, I'm pretty certain that might affect his payoff with Besiktas. So I'm pretty certain. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of money in Turkish football, Steve. That might yeah. be a, a, yeah, a, a jump too far, perhaps. Um, yeah. Steve, it's been great having you on. Um, I guess listeners might not be able to tell from the accent, but you are uh, of Welsh heritage um, yep. with the kind of final minute we've got left. Predictions for the World Cup. Are you going to get out of the group? I, if we had a fit Joe Aaron, I think so. Because even though he wasn't the player, he was six years ago when he was one of the best players in, in his position for the role he played in the team in the world. We don't have a Joe Redgill alongside him. So he's the only guy that can play there. And there's rumours he might not be able to play any of the group games uh, which is a major problem because even though you've got bigger names we have nobody else that will play there like literally mm. without him the players in that position are Morello can't get in Portsmouth's team <laughs> mm. Matt Smith who can't get in another team in League One who I refuse to name because I don't believe in their existence and <laughs> because of the move from Wimbledon yeah, and yeah, yeah. Dylan Levitt who's a much more creative player anyway and I don't really like seeing him there or moving Ethan Ampadu is a really good, really good player, but I much prefer him at sent half in section of film. Plus, the group's really hard. I think the USA are the weak, weakest team in the group, but they don't have the weakest players in the group. I think Iran with Kiros will really struggle. Teams, the other two teams will really struggle to score pass in Iran team. If I had to guess, I would say England and Iran get out of the group. I would Ooh. take getting out of the group now. Problem is, we run into the Dutch, and I record against the Dutch. Dutch is abysmal. Yeah, fine. Well, it's going to be a very interesting uh, six weeks or so. Uh, yeah, yep. I guess best of luck to Wales. Hopefully it will be uh, maybe second place. I've got many connections myself to Wales, Steve, so I'm hoping that they do. But yeah, the group is tough. I saw somewhere it's the only group where all four teams are in the top 20 of the FIFA rankings. It's the only yeah, group can, in the whole world. You Cup. can take and leave the FIFA world rankings, but it's the best team in Asia. It's it, it's too decent. We shouldn't be. We wouldn't have been in pot four if it wasn't for the fact that our playoff was after the draw. Yeah. And 
USA have got good players, even if their team isn't particularly good. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. The Zoom's going to kick us out in a sec. But yeah, really appreciate it. Um, been great having you on. Thanks so much for your time. And yeah, good luck to Luton for the rest of the season. And good luck to yourselves.